It's great to have you with us from wherever you're tuning in from. For more information about Elevate Church or to contact us, head to our website elevatechurch.me and take us wherever you go by downloading our Elevate Church AU app. We hope this message inspires and helps you to take your next steps in your journey. Good morning, good morning. How are you all doing? Great. You love to worship? You love to sing? Yeah. <clears throat> Want to sing with me? Yeah. Who knows Walsing Matilda? Walsing Matilda, Walsing Matilda, you'll come a Walsing Matilda with me. Jump back in his tucker bag. You come a waltzing Matilda with me. I score you about ten and a half out of ten. That was pretty good. Give yourselves a clap. Why are we singing Waltzing Matilda? Well, it's an iconic Australian song, isn't it? And I think pretty much it's a song that's dear to the heart of pretty much every Aussie that I, I have ever bumped into, regardless of, you know, their origin. If they come to Australia, they know that song. In fact, some people think it's our national anthem. Um, could be, I don't know. Um, it's sung around the world, though. It's, it's sung at sporting events around the world. Um, and whilst, whilst the words and the tune are known, the meaning of it is probably a little bit more mysterious so I wanted to talk to you about that, amongst other things, this morning. I mean, think about it. We just sang the words, and you know, some of us sung the first chorus, and I sang the second chorus by mistake, but we sort of got it basically right. Um, but what do people in England think of the lyrics? Or, or America, God bless them. Um, or the Pacific Islands, I spent a lot of my time there. Or South Africa, South Africa. What, what, what would they make of the lyrics of Walsh and Matilda? Well, um, I think they would think it's a little strange, um, and so I'm here to unstrange it for you today. So uh, here's a quick hack on what some of the words mean. Uh, hopefully they're on the screen there. So waltzing, waltzing, Matilda, it means wandering. If you, it doesn't mean dancing, all right? Um, Matilda is a swag or a bedroll, you know, so you're, you're wandering around with your, your duffel bag, whatever. A swagman is uh, a tramp or as they would say in America, a drifter. So uh, it's just one of those people. Uh, a billy um, is not a small Collingwood footballer, but a little, a little tin can made for making tea. Uh, a jumbuck, who can tell me what a jumbuck is? A sheep. Uh, that's very good. I know, you're looking at the screen. Um, a billabong is a small waterhole, or you might call it a pond. I think the British call it a pond. Um, and a tucker bag is, is a food hamper. It's just like a sack that you put your stuff in. A squatter is not a person who, you know, is in the gym, but, but a rancher. Um, and troopers, uh, you know, he's a real trooper. No, he's a mounted policeman. So you can see when people from other places than Australia kind of see the words or the lyrics of the song, they go, what the... Uh, even some Australians say that we sing it without really knowing, you know, what it is. But to make full sense of the song, uh, to make full sense of the song, you really need to know the historical context of the song. And trust me, this has some meaning for what we're talking about today. When Andrew 
Barton, known as Banjo Patterson, wrote the song in the 1890s. Australia was in the midst of a crippling um, economic depression. There was high, high unemployment, and it's so much so that it saw men pick up a bedroll and, and walk around the countryside going from farm to farm looking for work. Uh, the economic depression was so bad, it led to the Shearer's strike of 1894. Now, if you, you can Google that and find out what it is, it was a major, major event in Australia. If you want to parallel it, think uh, the airlines being shut down today. That's kind of like the impact that this had on the nation back in 1894, even before we were an official nation in our own right. And it pitted ordinary working people um, against wealthy pastoralists or ranchers, essentially to get better pay and conditions. So Walsing Matilda is a protest song. It's a protest song about workers versus bosses and of the Australian value of freedom. And it also tells us about the value of sheep. Tells us about the value of sheep. Now, it's been said for generations, uh, you may remember your Australian history from school, that Australia rides on the sheep's back. And that doesn't mean we're all going, giddy up and uh, riding around on sheep. It, it, it means that the national economy has depended on the production and sale of wool since the beginning. Since the 1800s, uh, Australia has uh, grown economically on the sheep's back. So to have a shearer's strike was a major, major problem to the whole country. Now in Outback Australia, and we've got a, a picture I think of the the, the little Outback Australia. This is the, the biggest flock I could get, but this is not a big flock in Australia. A single flock of sheep can number in the tens of thousands. I have a friend who's a, a rancher in central Australia, and I think he's got like 25,000 sheep. All right? This is just a small little culling here. But this is what it's like in Australia. And so the swaggy in the song, let's have a look at a picture of a swaggy. This is taken from the same time, early 1900s, he's got his little bedroll and his stick and his little billy can and he's wandering around um, you know, the countryside looking for work. He probably thought that if he took one sheep, it wouldn't be missed in amongst all those tens of thousands of sheep. But the squatter noticed and he, according to the song, he sent the police to get the sheep back. Now, it's not that he loved his sheep. Squatter didn't love his sheep. They were like assets for hired hands to manage. So for a squatter, sheep was money. And so he thought the swaggy was diddling him of money. Back in Jesus' day, the role of shepherds and sheep was very, very different to today. And I, I jump to that point because as you know, followers of Jesus and part of his church, we're interested in what it was like in Jesus' day, right? Um, so... Very different to today. In the Middle East, even today in the Middle East, a shepherd cares for a small flock, maybe of 20, potentially 50, or if it's a, for a village, maybe 100 sheep tops. Just compare that to tens of thousands in Australia and maybe 100 tops in, in the area where Jesus hung out. And that shepherd, because probably there is only 100, um, he can identify them all. 
Uh, there's Mabel and there's Mary and there's Fred, whatever. Um, and he protects them. He sees his job as protecting each and every one of them, a different role to the, the farmer with tens of thousands. And they all know his voice and follow him. When you're in the Middle East with a flock of sheep and you're talking to your sheep all the time, they hear his voice and they know, know him. And so when he says, come on, they follow him. And to him, they're more, they're more like food than livestock. They're not his friends. <laughs> uh, they're more like food. So, so really sheep in the Middle East were for like survival. In Australia, the flocks are like for money, but it gets much more personal in that, in that time. Here's a fun fact. Sheep are mentioned over 500 times in the Bible. Uh, and the first earliest reference is in Genesis 4. You can look that up. Not now, but later. Why so many references, I hear you asking? It's a very good question. Thank you for asking that. Maybe it's because sheep are central to the Hebrew way of life. And, and we are talking in terms of where Jesus grew up and, and uh, you know, ministered whatever was a Hebrew culture. So the nature and habits of sheep were widely understood. And so using sheep in stories made sense because everybody understood sheep. They knew what they were, they knew what they did, what they looked like. And so, so Jesus used sheep and he used it as a metaphor for God's people. And all God's people said? There we go. I see that hand. Jesus used sheep as a metaphor for God's people. And he, he took upon himself the title of good shepherd. Uh, let's read that in John 10. Uh, he said that he is Jesus. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. A hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. He will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him. And he isn't their shepherd. And so the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock. The hired hand runs away because he's working only for the money. He works hard for the money. Um, and he doesn't really care about the sheep. This, okay, He's the hired hand. Um, but I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me just as my heavenly father knows me. And I know my heavenly father, says Jesus. So I sacrifice my life for the sheep. They will listen to my voice and there will be one flock with one shepherd. Now, Jesus knew in telling that story that sheep followed the shepherd's voice. And so he was paralleling it, saying to, to the people of his time and, and vicariously over time to us that uh, Jesus is our good shepherd. He knows us and we should listen to his voice and follow. It's perhaps my favourite portrait of Jesus in the Bible as the good shepherd um, and I've been looking around. I, there was a, a, a picture um, painted once of a, um, a, a rancher on a horse with a whole bunch of cattle, and he, ha he had the dryer bone on, you know, and the hat, and sort of he was perched over them, and it, it was a really beautiful thing. But it wasn't sheep, so I didn't buy it. But if I can see someone who paints one that's got the sheep with that same thing, I would get it because I just love the imagery that Jesus gives us. Now, in Jesus' day, when he was talking about sheep and shepherds. The Jewish people knew all about bad shepherds or what we might call unrighteous leaders. Uh, God regularly sent prophets to them, uh, particularly to berate the kings of Israel for being more interested in caring for themselves and amassing wealth than they were for caring for God's people. 
Now, God, to be fair, warned the Jewish people about having kings because he knew this would happen, but give us a king. So they had a king and guess what happened? It turned south for them quite a bit. Um, Story of the Jewish people. So when Jesus announced himself as the good shepherd, when he came to them and said, but I am the good shepherd, people got excited. People got excited. What does a good shepherd look like? You know, we've got so many unrighteous ones. So today, uh, why I started singing to you and having you sing with me and why I'm talking about sheep is because Jesus is the good shepherd. And I want you to know a little bit about him today before we leave in just a few moments' time. I want to briefly, briefly suggest to you why you should also get excited about Jesus being a good shepherd. Well, let's look at three things to help us understand. As as the good shepherd, Jesus gives his life for the sheep. That's the first point if you're taking notes. This is is what you might call a sacrificial role. So a good shepherd has a sacrificial role. Jesus said in John 10, I am the good shepherd who sacrifices his life for the sheep. We read that just before. So Jesus told a story Um, about a shepherd who left 99 sheep safe in the fold and went looking for how many? One. He went looking for one. This is what shepherds did to care for sheep. Jesus was telling this story because he was saying, this this is what a shepherd really should do. But even so, even in, in the Hebrew culture, rarely would a shepherd give his life to go and find one sheep. You know, if a wolf was attacking, he'd say, oh, well, I've got 99 and we'll just go back to the flock. He would rarely give his life for the sheep. However, the good shepherd, Jesus says, is willing and prepared to give his life for the sheep. He's talking about himself now, with himself and the people of God. He is willing to do it. You see, everyone is precious to Jesus. You are precious Jesus. I don't know where you come from. I don't know if this is your first time or your millionth time in this church. I don't know what your family background is or what your faith background is. But whatever it is, I confirm to you today that Jesus likes you and Jesus loves you. Everyone is precious to him. And so as the good shepherd, no sacrifice is too great for him to make because He loves you. Jesus, of course, did this ultimately on the cross. We know that story um, of Jesus um, dying on the cross. He actually gave his life for the sheep, which is you and me. He actually did that ahead of you and I even being born. Ahead of you and I even being thought about, he, he did that vicariously for us ahead of time, knowing that we would be here today. You know, God is all-knowing, so you know, he knew you'd be here today and he gave his life for you knowing that you would be here today with an opportunity to respond to him. I, just, I find that extraordinary. The cross above all reveals God's great love for us in Jesus. Jesus as a, a, a God-man was God's only son and yet he sacrificed his life um, for us um, No sacrifice is too great. No cost is too high for him to restore you to a right relationship with him. That's the deal with Jesus. He wants to go and get the one and bring it back into the fold. You could be the one. There was a time when I was the one. 
and Jesus came looking for me. You know, as a uni- university student, I thought I was very clever. As a young man, thought, you know, I'm going to figure out God. You know, I'm, I'm going to search for him, but, you know, I, he's not real, so I won't really find him, but I'm going to prove all these religious people wrong. And then I discovered that all the time before I was born, Jesus was looking for me. Yeah, the hubris of, of humanity sometimes is astounding, especially when it's me. So he, he did this to restore you to a right relationship, which kind of means that we originally are not in a right relationship with Jesus or with God until we embrace the good shepherd. Anyway, we'll move on from that, come back to it. The Apostle Paul wrote, God shows his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Did you get the? Did you get that? Like while we were still sinners, while we were flicking the bird to God. Okay, um, that's the polite way of saying it. Um, and I just I didn't make the hand gestures. Um, it's like that's that's what I did to God when I was a young man. I didn't care about Him. Okay, so while while I was doing that, He showed His great love. And went to a cross to die, to pay for my sin, even before I committed it. Wow. Anybody else want to say wow? Wow. There you go. There you go. God deemed Jesus' death as sufficient to repair all the ways that I had broken relationship with God. And trust me, they were many. I'm sure you've thought up a few unique ones yourself. So he's, he's come to repair that broken relationship which our errors and past mistakes have done and he wants to repair that relationship. He's done everything he can do. The question remains in every generation, including this generation, are we prepared to acknowledge that? What are we prepared to do? Because God has done everything that he needs to do. He didn't wait for us to be good enough to deserve his love. He just loved us first. Secondly, we should get excited as Jesus is a good shepherd because he has a very sympathetic role, a very sympathetic role. So scripture tells us the good shepherd, Jesus, as a good shepherd, Jesus knows each one of his sheep and they know him. So if you're a follower of Jesus, it's not just you just don't know about him, you know him. He resides, the Holy Spirit resides within you. There's a personal connection. This is what Jesus is telling people. Uh, who are far from him, about what it would mean to come close to him. He says, my sheep listen to my voice, I know them, and they follow me. So you see, Jesus is not like the God of every other religion, you know, the God on high, teaching moral theories, you know, and making it impossible for humans. He is far more than that. And we sung it just before. We said, he is for us, he is with us. God likes you. That's hard, particularly for Christian people to hear sometimes because, I don't know if you're like me, you, you know the sort of stuff that you did, you're not proud of. But God likes you anyway. doesn't like what we do all the time, but he likes you. And if, if we could just get that, it would change the way that we live as people of faith. It would change the way that we relate to God. It would change the way we relate to each other. And he knows us personally only as a creator God can. It says back in the Old Testament, Jeremiah, he knew us um, you know, before we were in our mother's womb. 
Go figure. That's a, that's a whole other message there. And it's from that sense of knowing, it's from being known and being loved that we are called to follow him. You know, he's not calling us to rules and regulations. He's calling us to relationship. He says, I know you. I knew you before you were born. You know, I love you. I like you. Will you walk with me? You know, most parents know the reality of kids who don't want to listen um, and who won't talk. How was your day? Good. You know, that sort of stuff, right? And most young people know the feeling of parents who talk and don't want to listen. Mom, stop shouting at me. A real relationship is built with empathy, not taking those opposing points of view. And, and this is what Jesus brings to faith, is an empathy with us. You know, there's a guy called Steve Covey in America who wrote um, a, a seminal book called Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. He's not a Christian. I read his book and went, wow, this is amazing. If only Christians would cotton onto this. And his number one principle is seek first to understand, then to be understood. So that, that changed the way I approach people rather than try and tell them stuff and make sure they know stuff. You know, it's like, so help me understand is often what I will say to people. Um, it's it's mind-blowing. When we know Jesus is good shepherd, he listens and cares and we have everything we need. And landing the plane at number three, we should get excited because Jesus is a good shepherd because he searches for his lost sheep. It's a gathering role. So it's a sacrificial role, it's a sympathetic role and it's a gathering role that Jesus has. This is how he operates. This is who he is. This is who we come to. This is who we believe in. It's really, really important that we get this because we need to communicate this to others. You don't communicate the love of God by telling them the you know, 500 rules and regulations that are in the Bible that they must keep if they're really a follower of God. Yes, there are rules, but you don't lead with that. You don't, you don't lead with all the things that people need to do before God will like them and love them. He likes us and loves us anyway, the Bible says, before we're in our mother's womb. That's pretty early, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> that predates my destiny. What about yours? <laughs> so these are the things. So while I'm taking pains this morning, I said earlier to the team I came to encourage today, I'm taking pains at this because I need to remind myself of this every day, every day, because I slip into rules. And so this is the God we follow. This is the God who wants you to follow him. This is how he defines himself, not how Rick Painter defines him. All right? So we need to right-size this. Here's a gathering role. It's, he says, I have other sheep too that are not in this sheepfold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice and there will be one flock with one shepherd. There's that thing again, listen to my voice. You go, that, that's not right, is it? Like, I mean, like in, he's talking about you know, people of God. What about in real life? Does that work in real life? Like the sheep really... Only respond to the voice of the shepherd. You know, if you were to stand on the sidelines and go, here's some tucker, come and get it, wouldn't, and you'd wait, wouldn't they come over to you? Well, apparently not. He doesn't want us to listen to other voices. He wants us to listen to his voice so and, and come to him, you know, when we hear his voice. 
It's God's good intention for us to hear and follow his voice. We follow one voice, which is Jesus, to become one people, his church. That's how it translates to today. So my question to you today as we finish is, are you listening for God's voice? In your life, you, you may be already a follower of Jesus or you may not. Regardless, you know, you're here, so that says something. And are you listening for the voice of God? Um, and, and do you want to hear him if you say, well, you know, I'm not sure that I do hear the voice of God. Do you want to hear him? And if you heard him, will you be willing to follow him? And we have the word of God, which is the voice of God that, that guides us every day. So if you want to know or hear from God, you don't have to hear a voice in your head. You can just go to his word. Um, a lot of people say, yeah, I follow God. But do we want to actually do what he's telling us? So Jesus showed his great love for us while dying on the cross for what's known as our eternal salvation. And he watches over us constantly as a good shepherd. And he sets before us the task of telling other people about the good shepherd. That's what I said. That's why it's so important that we get this paradigm in our heads, this story in our heads about who Jesus is. In Luke it says, if a shepherd has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? That's our role, to look for the one. And I often said to the people at Gateway, you know, they say, well, how big, you know, is, is big enough and do we need to keep going? I go, as long as there's one sheep out there, then we will continue to search for that sheep and offer them refuge in the people of God. And let me remind you that on a good day, probably only 20% of people in Australia attend a church on any one Sunday, on a good day. So how many percent does that leave as the one? 80%. That's about 16 million people in our nation alone. So on the basis of what Jesus said and, and those very badly described demographics, um, I'm, I'm going to keep looking for the one. What about you? What about you? Yeah. Okay, let's pray. Jesus, we know that you created the church as a new community of faith to fulfil your mission, to reach those who are not yet part of the community and enfold them. You created us that we might be your people, that you might, we might hear your voice and follow you and actually do what you ask us what you ask of us, but by the power of your Holy Spirit to empower us and encourage us and teach us. And we have your word to, to guide us and we have your gospel to tell. Uh, Father, may we be a people who are known for following a good shepherd, a people who actually listen to his voice, do what he says and lovingly share that with others. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. We really hope you got a lot out of this message. If you live in the Perth area, we'd love for you to join one of our live experiences. For times and directions, as well as information, head to our website, elevatechurch.me. For those of you beyond the Perth area, we'd love for you to connect with our online experience, which premieres every Sunday via YouTube and Facebook Live, and on demand immediately after. And to partner with us to reach more people by giving financially, head to our website, elevatechurch.me and also download our Elevate Church AU app.